Uh, hello, folks. This is the first uh, NoFibs podcast for 2023. And um, I'm talking to um, my probably my best friend, um, Susie Russell, who um, got me off my chair during the <laughs> during the break to to live tweet um, actions to try and save native forests in Elands, which is the next plateau to where I live in in Comboyne. So, hello, Susie, um, and um, uh, may may it be a um, a productive new year in terms of stopping native forest logging in New South Wales. I certainly hope so, Margot. We're running out of time. So we met in 2003 at, at the house of a mutual friend and, and you, you wandered in in the early hours of the morning having been locked on somewhere in a, in a northern rivers forest. So how long have you been actually fighting this fight, Susie? Uh, all right. Well, slight correction. I hadn't been locked on, but I had come from a place where a young woman had been locked on. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> and um, yes, that was 20 years ago. And I've been fighting this fight for 30 years now. So it's it's 30 years since I was first arrested trying to protect a patch of the Bulga State Forest. And uh, two weeks ago, I was again arrested for trying to save a patch of the Bulga State Forest um, near where I live. And for 30 years, I have, in different ways, and I think it's fair to say, uh, we have tried um, many, many different tactics from lobbying and education and street theatre and direct action, you name it, we've tried it to see the uh, destruction and desecration of these amazing um, beings that are, are these tall trees of Eastern Australia from being cut down. So 30 years, that would coincide when you and your partner moved from Melbourne to Elands. Um, so it was, was it moving there that led you to you know, go right. This is this is the this is the project I really want to deliver on. Well, what happened was we we came to Elands, and I was standing around a fire with a group of people who I'd only just met, and I said, "Wow, this is a really amazing place." We've come from Bundaberg, and we've driven down the coast, and there's so many trees here. This is this is really green. It's really different to the rest of the continent I'd been on the Monaro before that. And uh, they said, oh, you've arrived at the beginning of the end. And I said, well, what do you mean? And um, uh, Tab said, well, there's um, an environmental impact statement out now that's looking at um, the old growth forest and whether it can or can't be logged. And, you know, if you really care about the trees, you should put in a submission. <sighs> and uh, I thought, well, I don't know anything about trees and forests. How do I put in a submission? And um, and funnily enough, uh, Greg said to me, look, you know about transport. I mean, I worked in the transport industry in Melbourne. And he said, you know about transport. Look at the transport section. So I looked at the transport section and discovered a major anomaly in the number of log truck trips that was being estimated in the EIS. And then I realised that just because it was a big, thick document didn't actually mean that all the numbers added up and that it was possible to go through and just check, just do a basic fact check, and that um, 
So that's where I started, Margot. That was um, that was 1992, um, and then we moved up here in 1993. And within about two weeks of us arriving, the then um, coalition government um, in 1993 kind of declared an area of forest, Bulga State Forest, uh, to the west of the village uh, under martial law. They, they put in a permanent police presence. The police had a caravan in the, uh, in the middle of the forest. They had 24-hour-a-day police guards. They put on gates on the roads. They had police on motorbikes cruising all the logging roads and had felled trees across all the access roads for sort of 100 square kilometres. So to actually get to the area of logging, you had to walk for about eight kilometres. And um, that was my sort of first experience of a forest action was was this incredible sort of effort by the state to ensure that these magnificent trees that I had never seen the like of before and thought in 1993, surely these trees can't be being chopped down. And so um, was that, and was that at that stage, was that still old growth, Susie? Yeah, that was old growth. That was old oh, growth. Oh, God. Old growth forest, magnificent trees. I've got photos that I took when we yeah. walked in of half a dozen people with their arms around the trunks of these magnificent trees um, that were basically, I mean, we lost. We lost that battle for, for that particular area of forest. And then a bit later in the year, without quite the same um, degree of uh, police protection, another area of old growth that was opened up and again uh, magnificent trees magnificent uh probably trees that would have been in the order of a thousand years old we had a scientist come in by the name of harry recker who uh professor harry recker what sort were they they were tallow woods tallow woods and brush oh god yeah of course yeah and um a moist forest type, you know, a beautiful yeah, moist yeah. forest, really open underneath. You could sort of walk through the forest like you're in some magical glade. And, um, you know, Harry Recker came in and said, well, these trees, you know, they might live for 1,500 years before they've sort of <sighs> fallen over. And then it might take them another 1,500 years to decompose. Yeah. And yeah. the life cycle of just this one tree might be in the order of 3,000 years. And it was uh, anyway. We lost that. We lost that patch of forest as well. That patch of old growth was cut down, and um, and from there we we tried a, a a legal angle. We went to court in 1994 to try and um, get the fauna impact statement sort of ruled invalid with minimal success, and mm. then. Um, then we managed to get a couple of big old stumps out of the forest and put them on the back of a truck and we toured around New South Wales with the stump truck to show people what we wow. were talking about. Yeah. Um, and that basically campaign endured until the 1995 election where by that stage we had been part of the movement of people that had got to Bob Carr where he realised yep. that this was something people cared about and he made a promise to protect the high conservation value old growth forests. And I thought, wow, great. And then I found out that high conservation value old growth forests was a subset of old growth. So it wasn't all the old growth. Uh, it was just 
high conservation value and how do you determine what's high conservation value? Well, that's a whole process. And, uh, and in the meantime, the logging was occurring. So we had to do a few more blockade actions to actually get a moratorium. Um, the car government did bring yep. in a moratorium on... Um, so on... was it... On logging old growth, yeah, they 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 brought in a moratorium um, to on sort of the areas that were clearly yeah um, high conservation value old growth in order to yeah. have an assessment process to work out what should be protected, yeah. and that began uh, a sort of uh, a four year assessment process or a three year assessment process under the car government to try and work out what areas of forest should be protected under the parameters of the National Forest Policy Statement, which was um, uh, that had sort of criteria that 60% of old growth should be protected and 15% of each ecological yep. forest type should be protected. And, and we yep. went through that process until 1998. Um, and in 1998, of course, Pauline Hansen was in the ascendancy and um, Red Neckery was on the rise. And um, and the government, basically, the Carr government uh, made a, a decision to protect some really important forests. It's true, but lots of key areas of forest that we'd been fighting for for years was left out of the reserve decision in 1998. Yeah. Um they brought in a really uh, regressive piece of legislation which has um, haunted us ever since, which is that no third party can um, take the Forestry Corporation to court for a breach of the logging licence. So, like, they can break the rules, but only the EPA can do anything about it. Oh, God. That, so that's just it. really, that's the end of accountability, isn't it? Really? It, well, it has been. It has been. Like we have found yeah. over the decades, we've found numerous examples of breaches of logging codes and license conditions, which in other states, conservation groups are able to take the forestry corporation, mm. the equivalent to court, and get some really amazing judgments uh, about what uh, that that rectify those breaches. But in New South Wales, we can't do that. And and so, um, I mean, after that decision in 98, after we'd sort of licked our wounds for a while, we, we came back with another campaign to try and get some key areas of old growth and some of those forests like Chilundi, people might know, and there were massive battles for Chilundi mm -hmm. Forest in 1991, and it hadn't been protected in 1998. So we had another round of campaigns and actions in nineteen in two thousand and two two thousand and three, uh, which is when I met you, and um, and the government did uh, create some additional reserves as a result of that campaign. Was um, was Chilundi the one that my brother went up a tripod? Now your or, brother went up a tripod I'm in Bulga State Forest in my backyard. Oh, do you, do you remember the year? Yeah, it was 1993. I was there. I was at, I was there when he did that. I, I just I just couldn't believe it when we met that you you already knew my brother and of course um since we met I've 
sort of come to see Elands as my second home. So when you said, oh, well, you better come and live tweet our actions, I thought, oh, well, I suppose I'm sort of fighting for for, for my, my place too. It's it, You've obviously fought, you know, across the state um, for a very long time to protect native forests but it's 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 hit home yet again in in your neck of the woods so can you sort of let me know what is happening in the bulga forest and yeah. and what what you need to happen for for, for to, to to protect an area which let's let's be frank in in the when australia burned it burned a hell of a lot of mid coast mid north coast forest um you you had to fight for 3 days to save your home if elanes was evacuated boban was trashed you know, there's a lot of habitat lost. It just seems like incredible that they they'd want to go in and um and take out koala and and glider habitat in these circumstances. It is it is incredible and shocking and criminal. So, uh yes. So I mean, we've been in our very small, modest way as part of the Northeast Forest Alliance. Um, we've been trying to raise awareness and do what we can to uh, try and get the government and the Labor opposition to commit to stopping logging of koala habitat and greater glider habitat and um, to no avail. Um, And then just before Christmas, the Forestry Corporation started logging an area of the Bulga State Forest not that far from where I live. And it really was the last straw. I just felt that that if, I mean, the area that they've got earmarked to log is quite extensive. It's the thin end of the wedge, like they will log that bit and they will log another bit. And the logging is more intensive than it has ever been. It's taking the the trees that are the ones that will be old growth if, let, if left yeah. to grow on. Like... It's the future, it's the potential habitat for all of those species that need tree hollows. You know, they're really important. And I just felt like I wasn't going to just stand by and see it go down without a fight. And so we rallied our community and um, went out to the forest. And basically when the logging crews arrived one morning, there we were uh, with uh, one amazing human being on a tripod, like three bamboo poles tied together really high up that um, that uh, meant that work stopped until police rescue arrived in order to be able to find a way to remove them from the tripod and therefore allow access to the logging area. And that was sort of the day one of our action. And then we've had several others uh, before Christmas that saw... Um, the Forestry Corporation decide to move out of that area of the Bulga Forest into another area which they are calling plantation. Now, we've been Mm. investigating that and it's clearly a very dubious claim um, and we Mm. dispute that it is, but we're, I mean, for the time being, that's what they're doing. Um, And... Uh, so we have, I mean, we've set up a public camp at an area uh, about half an hour like it, uh, from the Bulga Forest, but in Elands. But the water from the Bulga Forest goes into the Ellenborough River 
across the Ellenborough waterfall and down into the Hastings Valley and um, feeds the the communities of of the Hastings and Port Macquarie. So we figure that um, we're we're part of the important thing about forests, of why they're so important and why old forests are important is that they generate more water. They they both bring the rain, Mm -hmm. uh, they store the rain, they release the rain, and it's a well-established scientific fact that uh, the older your forest, the more reliable your water supply, um, which yeah. is one of the reasons why Melbourne, for example, has had a protected water catchment for so many years. And so yeah. we have, um, yeah, so our camp is there. We've had a, it's been there for nearly four weeks now. We've had uh, probably a couple of hundred people come through the camp where we've been providing information about what's going on. We've great had, food. Great food, yeah. That's always part of our our uh, the way we do things up here. A great food. Um, the community of Elands has been absolutely amazing. They have provided the food for the camp. So every every afternoon, a few cars roll in, and the various curries and casseroles and salads uh, come out. Um, and um, provide the smorgasbord of the dinner. And we have, um, and from here we have, um, there have been groups of people who've gone off, uh, for example, the neighbouring community of Lawn, which is not far from you, Margot. A couple of the locals mm-hmm. down there said, well, we would like some support to, uh, to, to protest what's happening in Lawn State Forest. So a few people went over there and supported them stop logging um, for a day over there. Then, of course, last week we had one of our knitting nanas who um, attached herself to the uh, with a, a bicycle lock around her neck to the gates of the Herons Creek Sawmill, uh, which is owned by a company called Pentark Forestry. They're one of the biggest forestry companies now in Australia. Um, they're trying to get a monopoly over the forest industry and they um, they bought the sawmill, they bought the timber business from Borrell. And so mm-hmm. anyway, she uh, um, she locked on, as, that, as we say, t- to the gate um, to stop the log trucks from entering and the wood, ch- wood chip trucks from exiting uh, for half a day. Um, small things in the scheme of things but aim you know the aim is to try and raise awareness and build interest and get the message out that what is happening in the forests is really really dire and at the moment we're Mm. heading into a state election and we don't have anything on the table from the Mm. um from the coalition and even from the Labor Party that says they're going to do anything different. So can, can I just just quickly get the, the state of play? Like when you went into the Bulga Forest when they were going to um, log the native forest compartments, you put a sitter up there and that, that sit, how long has that been maintained now? Is, that the, is it 14 oh, days? Oh, the tree or? sit. No, no, the tree sit's been yeah. there for 20, 20 days today. It's tw- it's twenty days, 20 days today, 
that there has been someone in this that sits. Not the same person. Um, there have been a, you yeah. know, there has been a bit of a rotation, but um, we yeah. call them Lola the koala, and uh, so there've been yeah. a few Lolas, but the that uh, sit is in the area of forest, in in that area of Bulga forest where forestry plan to go next when they come back into Bulga forest. So. Yes. Um, for us, it's so, a, a, a but, quite an important symbol. Yes, and and my understanding, because I, um, I I tweeted that um, action. I I was just thinking, you know, that I I tweeted your arrest for being the wrong side of a line or something, and that's the second one. I remember tweeting your arrest when you tried to save a river red gum in in Narrabri in the lead blockade. So I, I don't, I'm not really looking forward to tweeting the next arrest, but. Um, I suppose you have to be good for a while. But that that action led um, for forestry, New South Wales forestry, to say, all right, well, we're not going to log the native forest now in, in this area. We're just going to log plantation. And I thought the idea was to get the camp closed before it got momentum. Um, and because as soon as the camp closes, I'll just go back, I presume. So so is, would it be right to say that that tree sit is, is what is stopping native forest logging in the Bulga? And when that goes, in they go? I don't think it's actually stopping them. I think that political situation is what's stopping them. I think that they okay. uh, they would be concerned and rightly concerned that if they go into the Bulga again, they will have another round of uh, people um, who will yeah. uh, take action and put themselves in a situation where they will be arrested in order to stop that logging. Yep. And that is politically dangerous for them to have that going on. So um, I don't I don't see All right, them so why is it, doing why is that. It, why is it, well, okay, I was going to say why is it politically dangerous, but can you just take us through briefly why Labor and the Coalition don't want to touch this? What What is the politics of this? Where, what's the power behind this that is stopping something which so clearly needs to be stopped? It's an interesting question, Margot, which I have to say I've pondered for 30 years. It's almost as if logging is part of a uh, colonial myth that the first pioneers came out with their axes and they were part of this sort of settling the great land and they, you know, they cut down the red cedars and then, they, you know, they sort of cleared yeah. various rainforest trees. And, and of course, in those areas and particularly in, in northeast New South Wales, which is where we are, the, uh, those areas are national party seats and the logging industry is yeah. very much a national party industry. And the sawmills yeah. are, by and large, owned by National Party supporters. And that, um, so there's been a very clear sort of parallel, if you like, between uh, the logging industry being a protected species where the National Party looks after their own. And so we saw mm. that really clearly with the Koala Wars and uh, John Barillaro being prepared mm. to bring down the New South Wales government in order to uh, reduce protections for koalas from logging. I mean, an extraordinary issue to 
to sort of go to war with the government on. And then just before Christmas, we saw the National Party try to do it again, try to sneak exactly the same koala killing legislation through the New South Wales Parliament. And it only fell over because the um, the National in Tweed um, realised that uh, he had a serious sort of koala-loving constituency and, and threatened to vote against it. And uh, Leslie Williams, the Liberal in Port Macquarie's, didn't say she was going to vote against it. She said she had serious concerns. And I think, so So this issue of logging and koalas and the National Party is intricately linked. And the National Party, we've got to remember that, I mean, in New South Wales, the Liberals might have, um, have the government, but they really only govern the cities. The National Party holds all the regional portfolios. They have water, mm. they have agriculture, mm. they have mining, they have fisheries, mm. they have forestry. They have control, basically, of regional New South Wales. And well, the way they do business is that they hand out the goodies to those who vote for them and keep them in power. And the logging industry has been part of that power base. This is sort of a segue, but I, I first realised this, um, Susie, you know, being a Queenslander, just moved down to New South Wales when COVID hit and everything, and I was so freaked out that, that Gladys never even did a press release or said anything about the country. And when we were locked down, it was the Nats that did it. And someone explained to me that in New South Wales, the Liberals run the city and the Nats run the regions. And it, it it's just... That's, that's just the way it is. So so that sort of explains the Nats. Now, I noticed Labor sort of um, put out its koala park thing again, which would, I think, coughs to Kempsey, they want to protect a corridor for koalas, which seems sort of quite a small thing. But the forestry industry came out and said, well, if you do that, that's the end of the industry. I just thought, well, where's, where's Labor's politics there? Why is Labor not prepared to, to go all the way? Presumably well, jobs, presumably the union, CFMEU or? Look, far from being prepared to go all the way, this policy that Labor are taking to this election is absolutely piss-weak compared to the last two elections. The last two elections they oh. promised to, to create the Great Koala National Park and there were boundaries on maps. Yes. This time they po- yep. promised $80 million for a process to investigate oh yeah. what areas perhaps should be protected in a koala park. Yeah. And there is no yeah. moratorium on logging within those areas to be assessed while they are being assessed. So in other words... So you, you, do, what, you do what they happen in Victoria. Like um, uh, Daniel Andrews announces, you know, an end to native forest logging in next year. So the loggers just chop it all down before then. Well, and that, that is, is that precisely what, what is, is happening. Yeah. yeah, that is what is happening yeah. in that area around Coffs. I mean, we had, or yeah. prior to the fires anyway, we had two of the most significant um, koala metapopulations, like larger sort of aggregates of koalas yeah. in that area that were within the, that's how the boundaries of the proposed Great Koala National Park were worked out. Now, I mean, one of the, truly appalling failings is that the government hasn't done the work to find out 
what animals survive the fires, not just koalas, but anything really. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, and so... Well, it's obvious why not, because then it'd have to do something, wouldn't it? Well, exactly. And and so, you know, they've, they've got this, the coalition say they're going to double the number of koalas by whenever it is. But, uh, I mean, the number of koalas diminishes by the day. And that that promise is, um, it's a bit like Bob Bob. Bob Hawke's promise for those of us who are old enough to remember that no child would live in poverty by yep. the year whenever it was, um, and uh, it, and and it's the same kind of thing. You can make a promise about what's going to happen in twenty fifty. It's completely meaningless if you don't take action yep. in the present to make it real. So mm. if you don't protect koalas now, you can't possibly promise that you're going to double their numbers by some time in the future. So. Um, so the Labor Party is um, beholden to uh, the CFMEU, possibly the Australian Workers Union. It's bizarre because there are so few unionised jobs in the native forest logging industry. There would, you know, there wouldn't be more than a couple of hundred. Uh, I think there's a thousand jobs um, in the whole of the northeast um, that are are based around the hardwood industry. Um, a lot of them are big machinery drivers and anyone who's had a look at the state of the roads out west from the floods would know that there's plenty of work for people with big machinery skills. Um, and the potential for um, all the other industries that come um, if those forests are protected is, is absolutely massive. And as I st- said before, yeah. the water issue is, I mean, the value Economic value of the water should be enough alone without anything else to stop the logging of those forests now because the water and and having that water in the future is priceless. Um, It's interesting that the Nats guy, what was the Nats guy in in the tweed? Who was that? Uh, Jeff Provost. um, Jeff Provost. And um, and Leslie Williams in Port Macquarie, which of course is the the end point of um, of the, uh, the the Bulga Water, she actually switched parties from the Nats to the Libs. So that and she's got a a, a mayor, a local mayor standing for the Nats. So that 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 it it could be an issue in those regional seats. But overall, it sounds like um, the city Liberals um, that they don't see that this is a vote changer. So. I was just wondering whether the any of these um, community independents sta- st- um, standing in in safe liberal seats in a city, um, uh, w- whether they have a, a stated position on ending native forest logging, and whether any of them are, are campaigning on it, whether, whether it's an issue that could change change votes. In other words. Well, we certainly hope it is. Um, Jolene Hackman, who's standing for the seat of Manly, she was part of a uh, a group that went last week to the South Coast Forests to have a look at the horrendous logging that is happening down there, Yeah, particularly in light of the intensity of the fires down there, which has just left yeah. so yeah, oh many God, yeah. dead areas. It's just shocking. Yeah. Um, and she... Uh, I've seen correspondence from her that makes it very clear that she sees the issue as being really important. Uh, she would really like to uh, be able to help. Um, she's certainly prepared in her campaign material to say she supports an end to native forest logging, 
Um, she just doesn't have time or capacity to sort of get out into any more forests. And but yeah. uh, she she's open to um, having that message as part of her campaign yeah. if there was a way to bring it in. Um, there's another woman standing in the seat of Vaucluse, uh, Karen Freyer. She was part of that um, little delegation as well. She similarly, I think, is quite um, prepared uh-huh. to, to take that. And the Teals, the federal Teals, um, even though Forrest wasn't on their agenda at all prior to the federal election, have several of them have been on tours to the forests. Uh, I saw Monique Ryan mm-hmm. and um, Zoe Daniel make speeches in Parliament to a motion calling for an end to native forest logging. So, uh, wow! Look, I think I think anyone who is not beholden to a an interest group uh, and who is looking at the facts has it really clear that. Um, this this is a, a a destructive industry that is jeopardising our future life support systems and must be stopped as a matter of urgency, and I would expect all the teals would would have that position. Well, and just practicality, like you know, the, the industry New South Wales forestry loses money. So I mean, with such a small number of employees, they could give them generous payouts and great transitionary training. I mean it. I think you must be right. There must be some deep cultural thing in, in play as well, as well as money. Yeah, for, I for think this there to be is. Just I think dragging on. I, I think that's right. I think there are, and I think there are a few uh, personalities that are uh, absolutely um, uh, completely one-eyed about the need to, you know, persist with native forest logging regardless of the cost. Yeah. I, I, there is this myth that it is sustainable. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, yeah. but it's sustainable. And, and, you know, for every tree we cut down, we replace it with a tree. And I say, well, that's not true. For every tree you cut down, you might get a little seedling. But, I mean, a tree, the trees that you're cutting down are decades old. And, and that's decades well, worth of stored carbon and being replaced by a matchstick. You know, like we don't have those sort of time, the time to be able to wait for trees to grow. And also, I haven't followed this issue. I just assumed that sustainable logging meant you pick particular trees so that overall the forest still grows. But when I went to lawn, it was just clear fell. It was, yeah. it was just clear fell and you saw a whole area that had already been clear fell. It was just these tiny little sticks, not trees at all. Like that, there's no chance of a, of a forest growing there. It, it, it's it, 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 the whole idea about it, it, everything I thought was just wrong. I mean, it was so a lot of us have just fallen for the myth because we haven't looked into it. I think that's that's very true. And that's, I mean, look, forestry have an extensive education unit. They do packages and material for schools. Um, you know, they have their yeah. demonstration sites where they take people and it's all part of this thing about how oh, we're managing for the forests and we only cut down this much per year and we, we yeah. uh, you know, we do all these things. But the reality is that, um, that the trees that were many hundreds of years old are largely gone and now they're cutting yeah. down the trees that are decades old 
and and that they yeah. won't last that much longer. And then we'll be talking about trees that don't have the uh, structure to maintain yeah. all the animals. I think there's something like 170 or more different animal species that use tree hollows in northern New South Wales. Yeah. And those tree hollows take... 100, 120, 150, 200 years to form depending on how big a hollow is needed. Now, without having those trees in the landscape, those animals have nowhere to breed. And so, I mean, we're seeing this with the greater glider that 30 years ago I'd go spotlighting and there would be greater gliders in every tree. They were everywhere. Oh, God. It was the most magic experience. Now, if you go spotlighting, you're lucky to see a greater glider at all. The yeah, powerful absolutely. owl depends upon the greater glider. That's one of their main food yeah. sources. So, of course, if there's no greater yeah. gliders, it means there's no food sources for the powerful yeah. owl. And so the web yeah. of life starts to disintegrate. Yeah. All right. So I'd like to finish with this. So this this outfit, Pinta Forestry, um, bought out Boral, and it, it basically does – most native forest logging in, in, in New South Wales, would that be right? They certainly take um, most of the timber from northeast New South Wales, yet they've got the biggest yep. supply contracts. Right. So what, what do they use that native forest timber for? Uh, well, the main product that they get out of it is um, floorboards. And, uh, floorboards I don't know. for what? Floorboards for bespoke houses designed by architects for the uber rich. Like most of the, uh, you go to Bunnings, for example, you can't buy. But surely, surely, a lot of the uber rich would require a sustainability certificate. Surely they don't. They don't go. Oh yeah, I want some native forest timber on my floors. Yeah, well, I think they do. I, think I mean, because it's outrageous. Exactly. I mean, to to destroy all that, so you got a particular floor that 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 that's not that doesn't make sense to me. Well, um, I'm sorry, that, it just doesn't make sense. Thing. And I, the other day, we we watched uh, we watched the activity at the sawmill. We saw eight trucks, uh, eight loaded log trucks enter the sawmill, mm-hmm. and we saw five mm-hmm. big trailers on you know semi trailers of uh, wood chips leave the mill. So, so they're, they're uh, wood chipping one, as well. Well, it's a very wasteful activity. You know, you, you're taking a round tree and you're yeah. cutting out uh, rectangular pieces and yeah. it produces an awful lot of waste. More than 50% of the wood that goes in comes out as waste. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's incredible it's an incredibly wasteful thing, uh, activity, and most of it ends up as wood chips. So, uh, yeah, they, they okay. make some. That's yeah. That I, I just I just find that intolerable. Um, okay, so um, this Pentark Forestry Group, um, I have heard. I don't know if this is true that it has lost its sustainable forestry accreditation. So the Pentark Forestry um, Mob. Uh, Run. There's some. There's some very sort of opaque uh, relationship between uh, another company um, with the initials are A and W E, and for the moment I can't quite remember what they stand for. But um, and Pentark that run the Eden wood chipping facility, and you'd remember that Eden 
was the yes. sort of the beginning of the of the clear fell and wood chip yeah. of Australia's yeah. forests. And and I might yeah. say one of the reasons the fires were so bad um, in southern New South Wales and in the Eden region was because instead of having the tall trees that used to be there, the forests were much younger and therefore much more susceptible to being severely burnt yeah. Um, yeah. as a result of decades of wood chipping. So... Um, Pentark have, uh, they run the Eden Woodchip facility and they had a, uh, a certificate from the Forest Stewardship Council that um, said that they were, uh, that their plantation wood, um, they, that, that they were, they export plantation wood and native forest wood. They had a certificate saying that their plantation wood was basically, you know, doing no harm and um, mm. met the criteria and we were really concerned for a long time that uh, you know they've got two wood piles in there um, these ships come in the, the ships get loaded how do we know that it's plantation wood being loaded onto the ship and not native forest wood and anyway mm. finally the auditor agreed that it was uh, that there was clearly mixing of the native forest wood and the plantation wood and that they couldn't guarantee it was being separated um, and as such, they couldn't guarantee that the wood wasn't coming from uh, the habitat of um, of endangered species or anything else. And um, and so that uh, that certificate that they had for their operation through the Forest Stewardship Council was uh, cancelled. And the the government hasn't thought anything of that. Like it has no ramifications. The fact that they're not reliable in terms of sustainability. Well, it, it's a sort of a private process, the certification. So, um, yeah. I mean, the government has thrown. Uh, I mean, parts of the Eden Woodchip Mill got burnt during the fires. Um, the government has thrown a massive amount of money. I can't tell you how many million dollars, but millions of dollars at rebuilding the facility. Um, you know, again, what? there's there's subsidies to. What, what would the government? Sorry, why would the government rebuild a private facility? Well, because what, it why? creates jobs, Margot. You know, jobs, jobs, jobs. The mantra of oh well, you know, it's part of the regional business. But couldn't they use that money to create other jobs? Of course they could. Of course. I they mean, could. if it's not viable without government funding, I don't see why the taxpayers should subsidise native forest logging. Well, indeed, I don't understand it, and, and so say all of us. And it is it, it is outrageous, okay. and it is corrupt, and um, you know it's appalling. It's criminal. I mean, I, look, Margot, we had these yeah. fires that ripped through the native forest estate three years ago. There have been numerous yeah. sort of inquiries and reports and things that said, look, you know, we need to we need to decrease the volume of wood at least that's being cut. And last year, like just towards the end of last year, the New South Wales government renewed all the wood supplier contracts that were about to expire for a further five years at the at the volumes that they were getting, you know, 20 years ago, as if there had been no fires, as if there was no biodiversity yeah, yeah. crisis. So, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, at the bottom, if we could, if we could get an insight into it, I'm sure we would uncover a very, very smelly and corrupt, rotten to the core uh, process. But um, at the moment, it, it's it's hidden behind those closed doors and cabinet documents and and um, 
all we can do is is jump up and down and say this is crazy i don't know just keep trying i guess thank thanks a lot susie thanks for coming on pleasure margo thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this no fibs podcast until next time goodbye